Well, hello, and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this is a show designed to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. And on the first Friday of every single month, we release a new episode. So make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast if you aren't already on whatever app that you're using to listen to your podcast with. I'm so glad that you're here listening to this. And this is lucky episode number 13. And today we're going to do something a little bit differently. Normally how this works is I would invite someone else to be a guest on the show, someone that's an expert at what they do and a whole lot smarter than I am, and you and I would learn from them together. But today, we're going to switch things up a bit. Today, I want to share a little bit of my story. It's a story about being hurt in ministry and how to respond when it happens and how to move on past it and heal. If you've been a regular listener to this podcast or someone that keeps up with me on YouTube or social media, you know that something went down last summer. I've mentioned it vaguely like here and there in little bits where it's been appropriate, but I haven't shared a lot of details about it up to this point. And at the very least, you might have noticed that I stopped making YouTube videos over the summer last year. And then when I did return, I was at a different church. So Today, I want to tell the story, and the reason I want to share my story is because I think that these kinds of stories are a lot more common than we think they are, but when we're going through it, we don't feel that way. We feel alone and isolated, and in those moments where it's dark and it's frustrating and it's scary, when someone else says, me too, There's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of encouragement that comes from that, especially if that person is a little bit further down the road from you and they can say, yeah, that happened to me too, but here I am now and here's my testimony of how God brought me through. So this is episode 13. It's a little bit different than how we typically roll, but hopefully this helps someone today. So I feel like I need to to start with some backstory before we get to what happened uh, last year and last summer. Just a little bit of context of how I even got to this church in, in the first place and some other things that had happened. I've always been involved in worship ministry for, you know, since college. Um, but I was also in, uh, in the business world and I would serve on the worship team, my wife and I, and also you know, lead a Sunday school class. And we were very active in the church that we were at, but uh, we were doing it as laymen and then, you know, just like everyone else and going to jobs and all that. This church that I came to about five or six years ago was the first time that I was actually on staff as an ordained pastor, vocational ministry, full-time doing this. This This was the first time. And I came in not only as as a worship pastor, but I came in also as an executive pastor. Uh, the, the the senior pastor that had been there, he had been there for a while. He was almost there, all said and done, about just shy of, of 20 years. And so he was starting to, to do some other things outside of the church, speaking ministries and things like that. And they needed someone uh, back at home base 
that was just taking care of things, leading the staff and making sure that that things were being being taken care of. And with my experience, some of the things that I'd done in the business world, I had the administration skills to be able to to do something like that. And especially at that time, uh, when I came in, I didn't necessarily think of myself as a worship pastor that also did administration duties, but I thought of myself as an executive pastor that also happened to do worship. And so a lot of my time was spent on that side of things. And, and quite honestly, I was paid like an executive pastor would be. And like I said, the church at the time needed an executive pastor to free up the senior pastor to do the things that he felt like he was called to do. And then we went through a period of time where, because uh, things, there were some tensions, even when I came there, there's already some uh, tensions that were already there and some problems that the church was working through. And uh, it all kind of came to a head several years later where that senior pastor left the church, actually went down the street and started another church, uh, which split our church. So about a one third of the people at our church went down to to that church, which that's that's an unfortunate situation and a different story for a different day. But all that to say, now we find ourselves without a senior pastor at all. And so in this interim time, our church needed an executive pastor. And we went through this process um, called an intentional transition where, you know, like, just like it, it's, it's like like a relationship, like, you know, a, a, either like a messy divorce or just a bad breakup where you get out of a relationship that was bad um, and, and you then begin to look for for all the things that the other person wasn't. And so you swing the pendulum all the way from one side to the other, which isn't necessarily healthy. And so we went through this process where there's a trained pastor that obviously is giving the message on Sunday mornings and leading the church in that regard, but also helping the church to answer these two questions. Where are we and where is God leading us to go? And so it was the best way to describe it was it was like taking the church through counseling. And this was like a year and a half, two years that we did this process where we learned these things. Because once you answer those two questions, now you can decide how are we going to get there? And you'd have a better idea of the leader that you're looking for. So instead of looking through a bunch of, of, of online videos and going, hey, you preach really, really good. Where do you want to go, boss? Instead, you can say, hey, we are here. We feel like God is leading us to go there, and we think you're the man to do it. And so this process was absolutely amazing. I think it was one of the the, the, the healthiest things that I saw this church go through in the time that I was there. Uh, but during this time, we had you know we had that that interim pastor. And he was there on Sundays and provided a lot of leadership, but there still was that need for that day-to-day of, of leading the staff and everything. But there came a moment towards the end of that time where we were getting pretty close to uh, either hiring a senior pastor or just you know knowing that that was coming pretty soon. I already had that team together, that, that pastor search team together. And one night, the, uh, the interim pastor, the transition pastor, comes over to my house and says, hey, let's go for a walk. And uh, by this time, I had a really good relationship with this pastor. I still do to this very day. But um, we're walking around, and I had a hunch this conversation was coming. But he essentially said, we don't need an executive pastor anymore. This this new senior pastor, whoever he is, he is going to want to have direct access to the staff 
to be able to set up his vision and to be able to go in the direction that he feels like God has called him and the church to go. And also, the the elders and the leadership of the church didn't want this new senior pastor to be able to hide behind an executive pastor, which have been at the source of issues like that prior. And so they were just trying to make it a little bit more clean cut. And and quite frankly, the issue of money also came up again in that, you know, when when I came there, the senior pastor that was there had been there for almost 20 years. So he's going to be paid like someone who has been there for 20 years. And then me being in an executive pastor role, is is going to be kind of similar in pay just because I'm performing a lot of those same functions that a senior pastor would do. But where they wanted to put this uh, new guy, this new pastor, financially, uh, for someone that was brand new and just starting off, is going to be different than a tenured senior pastor. And so here I am in the middle, and where they wanted to put this new guy financially was was below where I currently was. So he said, we need to reduce your salary by $10,000. We're going to reduce your duties. We're going to change you from executive pastor, and you're going to be now the administration pastor. You're still going to be in charge of infrastructure and the building and the office and things like that. But I would no longer be over the staff. I would be one of the staff, and I would no longer be in the financials. And so... I'm not really sure what came first. I don't know if it was a money issue and therefore they had to change some duties or they wanted to change some duties and therefore they changed the financial side of it. It probably was a both and and not an either or. But the thing is, is that it's really easy to be wrapped up in our egos. I liked being known as an executive pastor. I liked that. I don't know what that says about me, but I but I did. And so being able to have to adjust and kind of get knocked down a little bit. And never mind the fact that, okay, we're thinking $10,000, that's a lot. I mean, it's almost $1,000 a month that we won't receive into the house. So what does that mean for for me and my family? But throughout this whole process, as, as, as easy as it was for me to feel hurt and all of that, I felt like the situation was being dealt with carefully. It was a situation where everyone knew this is what needs to happen. This is the next step. And I and I knew pretty quickly, like if I could emotionally remove myself from that situation, if I if some other friend of mine said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Here's our situation. What would you recommend? I would recommend the same thing. This was the right thing to do. It just happened to involve me and my family and my paycheck and my responsibilities and, and my lack of a better word, my status at the church. But I knew it was the right thing to do. And I felt like the way that it was handled with the intentional uh, interim pastor, he dealt with it very delicately. And even uh, talking with, with the elders, one of the things they said was, we would love to entertain a meeting where maybe you can creatively come up with an idea where we can add value back into your life. We're taking away this value, this financial value. But maybe there's something we can do that would give back. Maybe not at that level, but something. And we admit that we don't know what that is, but we would love to sit down and discuss that. 
if there even is an option. Now, I couldn't think of anything either, but the willingness to even have that meeting and just how it was dealt with, I feel like everyone knew we, it's like a surgeon going in with a scalpel and saying, okay, we have to make these cuts, but we're going to be as delicate as possible and cause as little damage as we possibly can, because this is a very delicate thing. And so we walked through that. And I, and I felt like we, like we together walked through that scenario. So shortly after that, uh, we start hearing talks of, hey, we think we have found our new pastor. And so all the meetings start happening where he meets with the search team and he meets with the elders and he meets with the staff. And we're all getting pretty excited thinking, you know, especially everything that we had gone through uh, with that transition team and all the things that we had learned about where we are, where we're going. And we're looking at um, this guy and the knowledge that he has and the expertise and, and, and where his heart bent is. We're all getting excited going, this is it. This is the guy. This is so it was an incredible time. And this is going into the year 2017. And so we called our new senior pastor right at the beginning of 2017. And that entire year, 2017 was a fantastic year. Just having someone in that driver's seat, in that senior pastor at that desk, talking about vision, and this is where we're going to go and long term and all that. And and someone that was there, you know, leading staff and and all that. It was a wonderful, exciting, amazing time. We're all dreaming big about where we might be in two to five years and the things that were even going right then and there that were going on right then at the church. It was a very, very exciting time. So that whole year, that first year was amazing. But there was an altercation um, that I had with that senior pastor at the end of the year going into 2018. And um, there were some things, some decisions that were being made that I had questions about. And so I approached our senior pastor through email. Now, I know better. You know, these kinds of things, you don't ever, 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 never, ever, never, never send an email on these kinds of things. In my mind, I'm thinking this is in between Christmas and New Year's and no one's in the office. I'll be really, really careful about how I word this email. I even said things, you know, I, I try to put in the position of maybe I'm the one that missed it. Help me to understand why we seem to be leaning in this direction and not another direction. But long and the short of it is, I initiated this conversation through an email and I know better and I shouldn't have done this and you shouldn't do this, but I did it. So I send this email and I get a response back from the senior pastor saying, um, that's a great question. Do you mind if I share the answer and copy the entire staff? I was like, no, I don't. I, I honestly wanted an answer to these questions. And so I said, no, that would be fine. So a little bit later in the day, I get an email back that has the staff copied and the elders copied on it that essentially says, you need to get in line. You need to understand your place on the org chart. And if you don't understand where you sit on the org chart, come down to my office and I'll show you. And I'm like, whoa, okay, that didn't go well. And I was even getting 
like I was getting phone calls and texts from like other staff members that were copied on this email because their entry point, even though the whole thread, the whole conversation was in that email. If you started from the bottom and worked your way up, you could see the whole conversation. But their entry point into this conversation was his response where he starts talking about org chart and things like that. And everyone's like, what, what's going on? Like, what, what did you do? And, uh, and so that obviously hurt. I, I felt like I had my head taken off in front of my peers. And this was like the first time, you know, a guy that I'm building a relationship with and building trust with, it was the first time that I felt like he had broken that trust. And so a couple of days go by. And again, this is like in that downtime between Christmas and, and New Year's. And there's, you know, there's just not a lot going on at the church building. But I finally do. After a couple of days, I'm like, I can't shake this. And this really hurts. And so I need to have a conversation. So I set up a meeting. I ask if I can meet with the senior pastor to kind of discuss this. And so we do that. We sit down in his office and I, I basically share my heart and say, that hurt. The way you responded to that hurt. And I realized about a, a third of the way through that meeting, this is just how it's going to be. This is, and I know enough worship pastors and people who work at churches that you know, th these kinds of situations and these kinds of relationships that the worship pastor has with the senior pastor they're they're more common than they, than they should be, but they are they are common. I was just hopeful that we wouldn't be one of them, that we would have a better relationship than that. But basically, about a third of the way through the meeting, I just understood, okay, this is how it's going to be. This is how he's going to lead. Um, there was no apology. Um, and I just I had to, in that moment, decide, okay, does the good outweigh the bad? And I think a lot of us find ourselves in that situation where, you know, where we are in ministry and the people that we work with, it's not, it is not ideal, but you have to decide is, does the good outweigh the bad? The things you see God doing and the relationships that you have and everything else, is it, is it worth the other things that you have to, to deal with? And so I just decided at that moment, it was the good outweighed the bad, but I... I began to mourn for a relationship that would never be. And so for the rest of 2018, um, it wasn't great. I mean, there was just a couple of other things here and there, small things, but just from that moment, it just was different. It never, it never really got better. And if I'm honest, I, I wasn't in the best place uh, from a, a health standpoint anyway, just for like from an emotional you know, health kind of a place. You know, what we had to walk through uh, when I was the executive pastor wasn't uh, a walk in the park. And so I knew that coming in, but that certainly did kind of take a toll. So I wasn't in a great spot. And I was kind of looking forward to maybe some time of rest and healing. And it didn't look like that was that was going to be. And so um, there was many days where you just, you just kind of came to work and, and you just, you survived. And, and you tried to do the very best that you could, but you knew that what you're dealing with was to some degree dysfunctional, and you're just trying to do your part to make it the best that it can be. And so that's, that describes a good portion of 2018. But then there was the weekend leading into Memorial Day, and it was a Thursday, 
and my senior pastor waits for me. And when I, when I, when I get to work, he says, Hey, can we talk? And so we start talking and he says, we, the elders and I have been talking and we have decided that we are going to remove your administrative duties. Uh, we are going to, we, we're going to take those away. We don't feel like we need those, uh, anymore. And so we're going to do that. We're not sure when this is going to happen, but, uh, it'll happen maybe sometime in the fall. Um, you'll be just the worship pastor and we will adjust your salary accordingly. We don't know what that is either, but he kept using the word significant, that the pay decrease was going to be significant. And so as he's sharing all this, at some point in the conversation, and I don't remember, but he either said, I hope we're okay, or it'll be okay, or uh, I hope things will be okay. It was something, something okay. That's all I remember was okay. And my response was, we are far from okay. This is now the second time, and then I realized it was actually the third time, that my pay has become an issue. That's the reason why I told you that story at the beginning with the intentional interim, is that this situation was once again, hey, we're going to adjust your duties and your pay. But the last time, I knew specifics. I knew the why. Um, I felt like it was dealt with very carefully. This is... they. He didn't even have the full plan. I felt like maybe he was trying to warn me of something. I, I feel like to some degree he was he was trying to be helpful. Hey, this is coming. But if you don't know when it's going to hit and you don't know how substantial it's going to be, except for the word uh, significant, I mean, are we talking, do I need to move? Do I need to find another job? Does my wife need to find another job? What is What does all this mean? How do I plan for this? And if you have hung around the YouTube channel or this podcast, you know that I'm a details guy. I'm a planner. I have planned to the nth degree. And so I don't know how to wrap my head around this. And so I said, we are far from okay. And so I left that meeting and honestly wasn't good for anything. We were supposed to have rehearsal that night. I canceled that. Um, on Friday, I just kind of, which isn't like my day off, I was just moping around the house. I was, the only thing missing was the bathrobe and the empty thing of ice cream because I just, I was really wrestling with feelings of, I feel devalued. I feel like what I bring to the table isn't worth anything, that what I do doesn't matter because we're just going to throw it away and we're just going to put you at like an entry level beginner for this size church worship pastor salary, that everything that I've done up to this point didn't matter. So as I'm working through all of these emotions, I finally had, I had to answer the question, Am I, am I reasonable to feel this way? The feelings I have, am I just being a baby about this? Or, or is, is, is the way that I feel reasonable? Is it okay to feel this way and therefore act on how I feel? And so I called a friend of mine. I actually called that, that interim pastor because he knew all the details. He knew all the backstory. I didn't have to get him up to speed on all that. He knew the situation that I was in, and he's the type of person that doesn't mince words. And so I knew that if I was being a baby, he would tell me that I was being a baby. And so talking with him and just kind of getting a clear head around it, I decided, yeah, I am completely reasonable to feel the way that I did. And so 
I called a meeting with the elders, which was an option that was presented to me uh, in on Thursday that I could do this. I at the time it's like I don't even know how to know how to wrap my head around this, and so no, I don't want to have a meeting with the elders just yet. But now that I kind of had a clear understanding, I had a chance to kind of think about it. I said yes, I do. And the thing that I knew was that if I had to guess, the senior pastor was the one that was driving this, that he was the one that was pushing for this. They had, he'd even mentioned that they had been talking about this since the beginning of the year. And here we are now in, in, in May. So this is, this apparently this conversation has been going on for, for several months, but the elders were going along with it and either they agreed with it and they fully supported it, or maybe it was more of a passive, Hey, we trust our pastor. And so we're going to, if he feels like this is what we need to do, we'll go with it. But to any degree, these guys, their names, they were being assigned the responsibility of this of this event, of these changes and everything going on. And these are guys that I felt like I've been in the thick of for almost five years. I might have a new relationship with this senior pastor, but I had pretty significant long relationships with these other people. And so as much as I was hurt by the senior pastor, I was even more so hurt that the elders would allow this. And so I had a meeting and I wanted I wanted them to know the repercussions. That sounds bad. I wanted them to feel I wanted them to feel the hurt. I wanted them to understand not from a vindictive way, not like from a way of you're going to pay. I wanted them to see the full scope of what they were doing. I wanted them to know, "Hey, I'm hurt. This decision and what you're doing it hurt, and your name is attached to this. And so I share with them, I said, you're presenting me a half-baked plan. You didn't even have, you didn't go through all the details to give me the whole thing. You just came up with some of it, and and you're expecting me to be to be okay with this. Just to kind of give you an idea of what was going through my mind and what I was, I was saying, I, I, I recall a time that when I was being ordained, as as a uh, as a pastor, obviously people from my previous church were there, but the but the new relationships I was making at this church, including the elders, they were there, and one elder in particular knelt down by me and prayed for me, knelt down by my wife and prayed for her, and then looked at my wife and said, "We will always take care of you." And I reminded this elder of that, and I said, "Is this what you meant?" Now, that's pretty strong. I, I admit, I don't take it back, but I admit it was really, really strong. I had decided at that moment I couldn't stay. Even if, and I knew this, even going into this meeting, if they said, hey, we are so sorry. Man, we made a huge mistake. We're just going to put it all back. Salary, duties, everything. We're just, just pretend like this never happened. I had already decided that I couldn't stay. And I think that's because I was just, just the significant of the hurt and all the things that had led up to that. The fact that this wasn't the first time that I was hurt, that I was, you know, I was probably more emotionally damaged than I realized. And so I just, I just, I was done. 
but I'm but now I'm trying to figure out what do I do next and where do I go? And those that are in vocational ministry understand that like when you feel like it's time to move on from a different place, but your paycheck comes from that organization, it makes things a lot more complicated when you know you can't stay. What followed from that point was what I refer to as a series of unfortunate events. There was a couple of things that happened that I don't think that that people intentionally wanted to give this persona, that they wanted to, to, to feel this way. But it sure came across this way, just continuing to feel like, hey, what you do doesn't matter. We don't value you. This is not important. What you do and you are not important. I don't think, like I said, I don't think that that was their intention now that I've had a chance to kind of look back on it, but it came across that way. Here's an example. So a couple of days after that particular meeting, I get an email saying, uh, we're so sorry. We know that you want that information. You want to know what the new duties are, when they start, and how much it does it pay. Um, we should have that information. We'll gather all that information. We'll talk about it. We'll get it together. And we should be able to give you an answer by the time that we meet in July. And I'm like, July? It's the last It's the last, It's the the last. last week of May. Um, and you're telling me this is going to like, you know, again, like this is so important that we're not going to get to it until July. And I understand that they meet on a monthly basis. It's like the first Sunday of the month, and they probably weren't ready to make any kind of final decisions when they met, you know, in a you know a week or so. Um, but maybe maybe this warrants a special meeting. Maybe this warrants that we we meet a little bit more often and we and we get some information a little bit quicker. Again, not feeling the love, not feeling the value. I don't think that was their intent, but it didn't help. Another thing too is that as we're kind of going through all of this, um, I finally get get an email about a meeting where we're going to discuss all of this. And you know how Outlook kicks out an email when someone um, will schedule a meeting and it tells you the name of the meeting and who's going to be there and what time and location you have a chance to accept or decline or all that. So I get one of those emails from one of our elders. Now, we don't normally use Outlook to do meetings and things like that. I think that he was just trying to be helpful, and that in his world, that's that's how you, you set up a meeting. But there is no phone call or another email that kind of explained what we're going to do or this is where we are, none of that. All So all I get, the only kind of correspondence I'm getting from the leadership is an email out of Outlook saying, new job responsibilities meeting. June 25th, 9 a.m. in this room. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so I respond to the email. I said that I don't know what the, the intentions are for this meeting, but I would like to ask that anything that is presented to me is done so in writing. And I felt like that was a fair request, but I also, I also understand the, you know, when you kind of draw that sword, I, I get it. And so I get an email back from the senior pastor saying, that's no problem. We can certainly do that. And then he asked me this question, can you stay? Now, I had already decided the answer to that question. I knew that I could not. And he didn't necessarily come out and say, can you stay? It was more like, Hey, tell me about your calling to our church, and do you feel like you can still lead with joy under my leadership? It was that. But he was essentially asking, can you stay? 
And I knew that the moment that I responded to this email, and by the way, just so you know, I did try to go by his office and have this conversation in person, and he wasn't there. Um, I knew when I responded to this email, I knew what it meant, but I knew that there wasn't any other answer. And so I said, I do not envision a scenario where I can stay. And he responds back pretty quickly. I understand. I'm so sorry. We're praying for you. So we get into that next week where there is that meeting on Monday, June 25th. I show up to the meeting and I'm presented with a letter that says your last Sunday is this Sunday, July 1st. And they explain to me that they want me to lead one last time. If I don't feel comfortable doing that, they certainly understand my last day would then be today. There was talk of compensation through for two months and how that would, and there's some options there if I could take it in a lump sum or just continue to be paid through a paycheck, which is what I chose because one, if you take it all in one lump sum, the um, that's considered a 1099 and it's taxed at a much higher rate. And also too, and I said this out loud, I said, the only reason that you ask for money in a lump sum is when you don't trust people. And so I was like, no, we're, we're, we'll just keep it on payroll and that's fine. And so they're presenting all this and I'm like, and I told them, I said, I do want to leave one last time. Yes, I would love the opportunity to say goodbye. I'd love the opportunity to lead one more time with my team, with us knowing that this is kind of the last hurrah, so to speak. I wanted that for my family because understand that up to this point, I have not told my kids. My wife obviously knows, and we've been working through some things, and my kids knew that something was up because they're a little bit older and they sense those things, but we had not actually sat down and told them what was going on. And so with this meeting on Monday, we knew one of the first things I knew is like, well, guess what? Tonight, I have to tell my kids that we're not going to go to church here anymore and that the friends that they have here, they're not going to see them at church anymore. So for all of us, we needed a chance to say goodbye. I felt like the church needed an opportunity to say goodbye. And so I started asking, so how do you, how do you want me to do this? How do you, cause it's, it's not like, I don't have anything to point to. I can't get on the stage and say that I'm going to a different church or going to, you know, this business or whatever. There's nothing to point to. I knew that no matter what I said on that stage, I would leave people with more questions than answers. And I was having some good talks with the church that I'm at now, but it certainly wasn't done. And the last thing I wanted is to get up on stage and say, hey, um, I'm going to such and such church or going to a church, you know, or I'm having talks or whatever. And for someone at what is now my church to see that and go, how arrogant and how pompous that this guy thinks that it's such a sure thing that he's leaving his church to give that impression. And so I had nothing to point to. I was going to get on stage or I was going to send an email to people or whatever the correspondence was and basically say, it's been good. See you later. That's all I had. They didn't give me any stipulations or how to address that. They kind of put that on my court and I was like, okay. So I sent an email to my worship team that next day on Tuesday, 
just kind of vaguely saying that um, the elders had created a scenario that my family and I could no longer uh, be in. We we have decided to mutually part ways, which at least at the service was true. Um, at the time, I was uh, I was doing a Facebook Live on my personal Facebook account where I would Facebook Live the rehearsal, and so uh, that was kind of the first time when we did that Facebook Live. I'll actually put that in the show notes. You can see that particular video. Um, it was the first time I kind of broke it, the news, so to speak, on social media that I was leaving. And then obviously we did the service. And then at the end of the service, the pastor says, Dave has something he wants to share with you. And I remember like this whole week, the thing I struggled with, I felt like someone had handed me a bomb and said, don't blow up the church. Because we had been through something similar when the previous senior pastor had left, and the way he left did cause hurt and destruction, and that was the last thing that I wanted. I personally was hurt. I was frustrated. I had a whole host of emotions, but the thing that I was trying to keep in mind, and I'm not saying that I did a great job at it, but the thing that I really wanted above all else is I wanted to end well. I wanted to end well. Because I need to stand before God one day and be able to say, I did my very best to end well. It was important for me to end well with the relationship that I was about to start with this new potential church. And then never mind the fact that there are people that come to that church that had no idea anything's going on. They're going to get this blow and get this news, and they don't need to know all the messy details. I felt like there was a church that didn't need to know all the messy details. Although I will tell you, there were moments that I felt like I wanted to say something. I wanted to post something on social media. Um, even this this podcast, this idea of sharing this story. You know, know how many times I've wanted to share this. And I feel like I'm now at a place where there's enough time between those events and now where I'm in a better spot. I have a lot more hindsight and perspective on things that it's a different conversation but at the time, I was in a place to see, you know, that in my darkest moments, you know, when you're sitting there all crawled up in a ball uh, of a mess of emotions and you're like, these, you know, people need to know. And so there's a whole lot of things I wanted to say, but I knew that at the core of this, there's a church that didn't deserve that. And the way that it was brought about was, in my opinion, not handled very well. Uh, I feel like it was poor leadership decisions, but it was the cards that were dealt. And so all I could control is what I could control. And so I really thought through, what am I going to say? And how am I going to present this? And my wife was, she said, just, just tie it to scripture. Just go to scripture. What does scripture say? And share that. You guys can have a seat for just a second. Yes, I hate for you guys to stand there. I had someone recently ask me the question. They said, what verses or promises from the Lord remind you of your call to ministry? I thought that was such a good question. And when they asked that question, I was like, I know exactly what it is. It's Colossians 3, 16 and 17. And I remember being in college. I was, it's the early 90s and I'm a punk kid, probably 20. And um, I was writing songs and recording songs and trying to find places to play songs. 
And I remember, and I'm a, I'm a brand new Christian at the time as well. And so I really feel like God had shared that with me to say, hey, my purpose for your life involves music. And the way that he did that was through that verse. But here's the thing about that story. And by the way, let me read the verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, here's the thing is that while I was trying to like write songs and record songs and do all those different things, I was like really bad at it. Like it was really bad. It was really miserable. You know, I made a tape because that's what you did back in the early 90s and, uh, and all those different things. And it just, nothing, nothing stuck. So here I have what I feel like is this calling in my life. I feel like God's spoken to me in this, but it's not manifesting itself like I think it's supposed to. And eventually I put that down and I started working in radio and I got married, had kids and eventually, you know, got a job at a, at a book publishing company. And I just, I don't know if I just kind of put it on the shelf or there were moments where I thought, well, maybe I missed that. Like maybe I just read too much into that. I was an overzealous Christian, young Christian at the time reading that. And maybe I just made that up because I really wanted it so badly. And so I, you know, those are the, the thoughts you have with yourself, you know, deep in, you know, when it's just you in the car, right? And so, but all the while, you know, I was always involved in a worship ministry somewhere, playing drums or, or, or whatever, and I would help other Christian artists. I'd support them, they'd travel, and I'd run sound or, you know, play drums or things like that. Started a blog in 2011 that turned into a YouTube, a YouTube channel and, and now a podcast where I try to take the, the expertise and the, the, the wisdom that I feel has been given to me and share that with other people. And then at the church I was at in Norman, you know, obviously playing there, but beginning to like be able to lead there. I would lead like 10 or 15 Sundays out of the year and then eventually calling here. And my point for bringing all that up is that it doesn't, it didn't seem like it was going the way that it was supposed to. I feel like God had called me to this and God had made a promise to me, but it wasn't manifesting itself in the way that I thought it would. And this moment's kind of like that. You know, there's a lot of you know, what's going on and what's next and, you know, why? And there's all these kind of questions and I have them too. Um, but what I do know is that God is that rock. It's not by mistake that the last song we sing together was Bill Bible. And the, the rest of those verses, 17 says this, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And, uh, and whoever's texting me, you got to stop it. <laughs> um, you know, um, worship is not a musical style. We just heard this. It's not a, it's not a musical style. It's not uh, the warm-up for the message. It's not even about music itself. It's funny that when we say, hey, worship was great today, we generally mean the music part of it. But honestly, if we go to work or if we take our daughter to school, whatever we do in the, in, in, for the glory of God, that is worship. And so for the last five and a half years, I've been able to lead you all in worship, obviously on this stage, through music, through that vehicle, but just also worship in life, you know, in your lives, in your homes, in the commons, in classes, uh, on social media and all these different places, I've had the opportunity to do that. And all those memories and 
all those opportunities and all those relationships I will cherish for the rest of my life. Colossians 3, 6, 3, 16 and 17 say this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Trinity, never stop doing that. Never stop. Thank you. The last song that I sang with that church was Build My Life. I don't know if you heard that <laughs> through all the, the sobbing and everything, but songs like that and Reckless Love and King of My Heart and I Belong to You by Iron Bell Worship, those songs still wreck me today because they are still so ingrained in my memory because God used them to get me through that season. You know, a song like King of My Heart and the bridge where it says, you're never going to let me down. A, uh, a song like Reckless Love that just really paints a beautiful picture about how much God is just emphatically in love with us. And so as we go through things like this, he cares so much and loves us so much to know that as we're as we're going through all this, it's what helped me through. I had someone ask me uh, not too long ago, what's the advice for someone going through what you went through? How did you keep from going to a dark place mentally? And the answer is reminding myself over and over and over and over what God's promises are. Are for us, you know, verses like Exodus fourteen fourteen and Joshua one nine. I mean, they, those were gold. And what I discovered is that you would have to remind yourself, and then you wake up the next day, and you'd have to remind yourself again, and then you wake up the next day, and you'd have to remind yourself again, and maybe even that night, remind yourself again, just to really be firmly planted in in these these promises of God that never change while everything else around you feels like it's falling completely apart. And what I what I love about, again, like going back to that verse in Exodus, that's, that verse says that the Lord will fight for you. Not that you're the one going out to fight and, hey, I got your back, but like the Lord himself will fight for you. So chill out. That's not actually what it says, but that's kind of the way that I've interpreted that verse. The Lord will fight for you. Just chill out. And the final thing I would say is that you know, through all of this, uh, forgiveness has been something that I've really had to learn and really learn and just to wrestle with with all of that. And and maybe not so much with the senior pastor because that was a relationship that, you know, I didn't know him, but, you know, for maybe a year and a half. So I didn't have a lot invested in that relationship. Neither one of us had that. But for for the elders, that you know, we had been doing ministry together for for half of a decade. Um, that was a lot harder. And the one thing that I wanted more than anything else was I wanted them to say, "I'm sorry." That's all I wanted. I wanted them, and one of them did. And one of them did say, "I'm sorry." But for a long time, I just kind of sat here sulking, so to speak waiting for the rest of those guys to say, I'm sorry. And the funny thing is, is that 
I've seen a lot of those guys. I'll see them around town. I'll see them at shops. Um, you know, I might see them at our denomination's uh, central meeting, you know, our annual meeting. And wherever I happen to see them or I bump into them, we have great interactions. Like I can tell, I can tell that they're sorry. I can tell that they desire to to have a relationship with me. But I waited and waited for those words. I was like, you know, almost like I held it over them. Like, until you say, I'm sorry, I'm going to withhold part of this relationship. And I had to come to grips with, what do I want? Do I want them to say, I'm sorry? Like, do I want those words to physically come out of their mouth? Or do I want reconciliation in the relationship? Which one do I want? And what I want I want that relationship to be reconciled. It's never going to be the same, but I I want to to be in a place where we can move past this and move beyond and they may not say it out loud audibly, but I can tell when I'm around those guys, when I happen to bump into them, it's not very often, but when I do, I can tell that they are. So the best thing that I can do is to stop hanging that over their head and, you know, and, and how I treat them and just being closed off and say, okay, if, if they want to work on this relationship, I'm going to work on this relationship. And maybe that I'm sorry will come somewhere down the road, maybe, but maybe not. And the thing, I think the reason why God is so adamant in his word to say that we should forgive other people is because he knows that until we do, we're the ones in bondage. We're the ones that if we're hanging on to that angst and that anxiety and, and all of that, we're the ones that are hurting. And so when we release that and say, you know what, you may not deserve it. It may not be owed. But if you are able to say, I forgive you, I'm not saying necessarily I trust you fully again, because that's two different things. I guess what I'm trying to say is that reconciliation may not look like what you expect, but are you looking for it to be a certain way or do you want to see that relationship be restored over time? And are you doing your part to do that? So that's what happened last summer. And I'm in a place now, I'm great. My family's great. I mean, we're, it's one, it's one of those things where um, I don't, if, if God were to call me to the church that I'm at now, and everything was fine at the previous church, I don't know if I would have went. But because God led me through all that, I'm not saying that he caused it, but because that happened and he allowed that to happen, it put me in a place where I would consider it. And now that we're here, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm not saying I want to go through all that again, but now that I'm here, I'm definitely reaping the benefits of all of this, because where I'm at and the staff I'm with and the things and the opportunities of, you know, of what we can do at the church and, and, and the people that I get to be around, it's amazing. And I'm glad, I'm very glad to be where I'm at. And I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm getting there. So hopefully that's helped somebody. Hopefully that helps you. The main thing to keep in mind is that if you resonate with this story, if you're going through something just like this, me too. You're not alone. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin. Let's do this again next month. 